You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Let's talk to Joanne Bainham, who is from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town, about all matters markets and macro. Joanne, before we get into how you're positioning your clients towards what is going to be an interesting, as always, New Year 2022 in, in this case, let's talk about a bit of macro news yesterday from the United States of America, where producer price inflation, in other words, the price of goods that leave the factory gates and then go off to various retailers and distributors, etc., rose by 8.6% year-on-year, 0.6% month-on-month, and since records began, that's the highest ever. I find it extraordinary. It's completely extraordinary. What I will say is it was in line with expectations. So there is still a sort of a base effect coming through, but we also know all about the supply bottlenecks. You know, everyone's talking about it now, even Biden's talking about it. Um, But what I do think is fascinating is central banks, I think, have painted themselves into a corner because I cannot believe when they were given the opportunity to say, I think we should start raising rates, they didn't do so. I mean, they keep putting it further and further out into next year or the year after, the reality is there's some proper inflation coming through. And, you know, the fact is they need to raise rates, but they don't want to because there's so much debt in the world. They're terrified. They're terrified of what will happen to asset inflation or asset markets if they raise rates. And I don't know if you saw yesterday, somebody from the Fed was warning that asset prices are looking rather elevated. Oh, really? So I, I think Have they just woken up from a, a long sleep, in other words, sleep. for the last year? No, no, I know. No, no, it's insane. I mean, it just, have you been following what's happening with Tesla at the moment? I've been following the ever increasingly eccentric behavior of its founder and CEO, Munir Musk. Now, I don't understand that. I, I really don't understand what, what he's up to. And I think it's actually a little bit distasteful. But anyway, you go on with your take on it, please. Okay, well, we'll give you two takes. First, um, I think Greg Davies uh, did the most amazing tweet today. It came out. He said, from peak to bankruptcy. These were some of the market movements. In WorldCom, it was $180 billion. Enron, it was $70 billion. And um, can't remember the third one here. But Tesla just yesterday mm. fell $140 billion. <laughs> okay, yes. So there's just some incredible numbers to talk about. So what has Elon Musk been doing? He kind of put a shout out onto Twitter to say, you know, should I sell 10% of my shares? And guess what? Twitter came back and said, absolutely, you must. You know, who knows? He even voted on the silly thing. But, you know, he asked Twitter permission to sell his shares. The reality is, in a couple of weeks or months' time, he's got an awful lot of shares coming his way, vested options, which he will have to pay a lot of tax on. And it's completely in his best interest on two counts, the share price to fall, because in those vested options will be worth less money. And secondly, he needs to raise some money to pay the taxes. So, you know, again, Elon Musk does what Elon Musk wants to do. But I think if you're going to look at it a third way, if he really thought the share was cheap, he wouldn't be selling 10% of his shares. There's no way he'd be doing that. And I think some of these valuations and some of these companies on the US markets are just ridiculous. And I think it's an interesting cross the bar, you know, just telling the markets, be careful, because some of these share prices have moved far too much. And let's not even get into crypto, because crypto is a whole new story at the moment. Yes, I noticed yesterday it went to an all-time record high of something like 68,300. And the cryptocurrency I'm referring to, of course, is Bitcoin. Uh, it's come off a little bit today. And, and yeah, I, know, I was watching a couple of television programs, Joanne, and they're saying, oh, well, it's a hedge against inflation. No, no, it's not a hedge against inflation. It's a pure punt. Oh, no, totally. I mean, I think people are trying and they're grappling to figure out 
what it is correlated to, because nothing I've read has been able to explain what it is correlated to. I think it's probably more correlated to mania in the markets at the moment. Yes. I don't know if you've read the article saying the everything bubble. I mean, everything's going up. It, you know, it was hard not to make money if you took risk the last 12 months. And I think that's the reality we're dealing with. It's, you know, you had to have struggled, really struggled not to make money. I think about the only things that haven't made you money in these markets are gold equities and silver equities. So it really does feel like a bit of mania at the moment. And I think what is true is a lot of young people have become quite disillusioned about stock markets and they're putting their money somewhere else. And it's massively speculative. I mean, if you look at markets generally at the moment, if you look at sort of fear and, and greed gauges, we're currently at extreme greed. Let's not forget the Fed has said mm. we're going to reduce quantitative easing. So they're still putting money into the economy, but they're putting less in. The Fifteen said, billion less in in total. Five billion, yes. in, I think, in mortgage-backed securities, and ten billion, uh, some something else. I, I I don't know. But anyway, fifteen billion is being withdrawn. But that means there's still a hundred and twenty-five billion going in every month. I think. No, no, no. Look, it's still net net positive, but the rate of change is slowing. And you remember, markets are made at the margins, so the rate of change is slowing. The fact is, it's not as good as it was. We know that some central banks in the emerging markets are already raising interest rates. Developed market central bankers at some point, if inflation is not transitory, will have to raise rates next year. So that becomes a tighter environment. And then on top of it, I, what a lot of people aren't talking about, but I think is really interesting, is the whole earnings story. I think going forward, earnings are going to be a lot harder to get because you've got proper pricing pressure coming through. You know, you talk about 8.6% of the factory gate in the US. That's some proper pricing pressure. We've had pricing pressure in China this morning. And then on top of this, we've got the whole ESG climate change movement that's going to be very inflationary for quite a while until renewables take over from dirty coal. So I, I think the world is certainly facing a tighter environment from a liquidity perspective and a, and a lower margin environment, neither of which are particularly good for earnings. And yet the markets keep going to new all-time highs. Uh, the best comment I read on it this week was somebody saying, well, the Elgos are now running the markets because, you know, there's not a lot of people in the markets anymore. Mm. And even the people who wrote the Elgos don't understand what they're doing. And it genuinely feels like that. I mean, if you're watching the US bond market, it's making no sense whatsoever. No, I noticed after the 8.6% PPI print yesterday, it went, uh, the, the yield actually fell and the bond market rallied. And I, I, I was scratching my head and thinking, what on earth is going on here? And then the S&P and the NASDAQ and the Dow started to fall. And I spoke to a commentator and said, well, it must be PPI. I said, no, it's just it's to do with uh, Fed comments about China. Oh, oh, dear. No, it's almost like they're grappling to find an answer to explain the very peculiar nature of bond markets at the moment. But I just know something very simply from a mathematical perspective. If a yield I'm buying is, is lower than the current inflation rate in real terms, right now I'm losing money. Maybe the long run you won't be, but right now you're going backwards in real terms. Why is holding cash a bad investment? Why has Tina been so popular? It's because you're getting no returns for being in cash. Well, you're getting no returns for bonds either. And, and so just central banks have distorted the stock markets. Now, the problem is we don't know how long this lasts for. I mean, you and I have been debating this for I've lost count how many months we've been debating the markets don't make sense and they keep going higher. And it just feels like at some point in the future, something horrible is going to happen. So on that subject, I also work for a company called Apollo Offshore. It's a discretionary fund manager. Yes, a DFM. And, and what we've a DFM. And what we've decided to do, because the performance offshore has been so good for these guys, is to take some money off the table, buy some protection and try and protect the portfolio. Because... I have no idea when markets are going to fall, but I do know valuations are not on your side. I do know the environment is getting trickier. 
And if you can buy some protection and not have to pay away too much for that protection, it's probably not a bad idea. Yeah, when you say so taking you know, money the off the table, sorry. do you mean you're selling? I mean, let, let's, let's simplify it now. Taking money off the okay, table no. means selling. Take the tip. Well, yes and no. I mean, we've got money in cash. Mm. And instead of putting that money back into the equity markets or bond markets, we're going to buy some derivative protection through you know, puts or call options, however we're going to do it. Yes. And that will protect us in the case of a downdraft. No. So we're saying is if the market loses more than 10%, we want to be paid some protection. It's, it's no different to buying house insurance. We're just buying house insurance for the funds. A lot, so of, we're just a, saying is, a lot of funds are not mandated to be able to use derivatives in order to protect the portfolios, but yours at Apollo or some of yours at Apollo uh, clearly are. Now, do you use a simple thing? You say, well, the S&P's at 4,700 at the moment for argument's sake. We're going to buy mm-hmm. some 4,400 puts with a six-month duration. Or do you do fancy collars and all that sort of thing? How do you do it? Uh, the first one you mentioned. Just so the simple... Out the money, buying out the money, put options. Mm. I mean, this sounds like Greek to a lot of people. But if you think about your house and you're worried about it burning down, you, you pay insurance every month just in case it burns down. Mm. So we're effectively buying some insurance. But by buying it out of the money at current levels, you don't pay too much for it. It does mean, though, that the markets fall by five. We're not protected. But it falls more than five then, you know, then it starts getting interesting. Because the reality is a 5% move in markets these days is neither here nor there. What clients want from you is a protection of, for a proper fall. Uh, and that, at the moment, everyone seems to think the markets are going up. So if you can buy protection, it doesn't cost too much money. And here's the caveat, if it doesn't cost too much money. So the longer you go, the longer you buy the protection for, the more expensive it gets. So that's obviously, you know, because in the long run, equity markets go up, so it gets more expensive. Yes. So that's obviously an outside event. We're buying sort of short-term protection, and I just the point I'm trying to make in all of this is markets, our valuations are quite extreme at the moment in lots of areas, and just look what's happened to Tesla in the last two days. So Tesla isn't obviously indicative of all stocks, but it is indicative of the mania that we're currently seeing in markets. Okay, just talking about the options, um, options fairly attractive at the moment. If you look at the VIX, which is the volatility index, which is essentially an option pricing mechanism, um, you can see that the 52-week high in the VIX has been 37.51, which means options become more expensive because people take out the insurance that you just mentioned. The Uh 52-week low has been 14.1. It closed yesterday at 18.25%, which was a a move of 6.5%, not from 12 to 18, but uh, a move of 1%, which, you know, calculating it, 6.5%, if you see what I mean. But anyway, it's Mm -hmm. relatively attractive, uh, Joanne. Uh, The only thing is, Mm -hmm. the actual VIX and the implied VIX in the option pricing are often different numbers. So So you pay different, uh, when you go actually go to the option issuer, it's it's a different price to the one you see on your screen, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it is a different price, but but arguably it is cheaper than it's been for a while, relatively speaking. But you know, you're not you're not doing it through the option market. You're doing it because you think the markets are overvalued and the whole market will fall. And then volatility tends to rise the same time as you get both. Mm. You get the money for the market falling, and you get the money for the fact that the VIX will rise. But the, but the implied VIX and the contract you owning doesn't always the same as the market's VIX. But it's uh, and we're kind of getting really off point here. The the reality <laughs> is, I think the the message is. We think markets are expensive. We don't know how long they stay expensive for. We've made a lot of money and we want to protect some of that money. We don't want it all to go away. And we could be wrong. I mean, that's the reality, right? In three months' time, four months' time, we'll be sitting here, the markets are all new all-time highs. And so it's a question of what do you pay for that protection? And right now, you're not paying a lot for that protection. We're nearly 2022. When did the market uh, bottom? 
think it was, wasn't it 2008, March 2008? Is that the triple six number when the market's bottom? Yeah, triple six. I think that was the number, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yes. right. And the VIX was probably <laughs> 75% in those days. I yes. think it was March, March 2008, I think. Was it nine? Anyway, I think March 2009, actually. 2009, there you go. I think it was March. I mean, I'm never good at remembering these things. I just remember that number because it seems to have symbolic factors behind it. So, in a few, <laughs> that's why it's easy to remember. In a few years' time, in a few months' time, rather, we will be 13 years into a bull market, a 13 year bull market, consistent yearly all time record highs, sometimes nine, 10 daily all time record highs, which we've seen recently in major US indices. It's astonishing what's going on here. I mean, it is. Look, it's been helped massively by very low interest rates. But one can't get away from the fact that a lot of companies have done well. And the US has been a standout performer, has been on earnings. So it hasn't purely been a re-rating story. There's also been incredibly strong earnings coming through from the likes of the FANGs. And don't forget share buybacks. So 40% of the returns the last sort of 10, 12 years has come from share buybacks. I think it's a massive number because these large tech conglomerates have just spewed cash and they're able to buy their shares back. So it, it hasn't been completely built in a house of sand. It just feels right now that some of these PE multiples and price to sales multiples, you have to price in an awful lot of good news to justify current valuations. And I remember in Europe and UK, I mean, UK is a particularly cheap market. You know, there's some very interesting long only opportunities there and in Europe and in certain parts of emerging markets, especially Chinese tech, which everyone hates right now. So, you know, there are opportunities in markets, but generally speaking, it does feel a bit maniacal, if there's such a word, <laughs> in markets right now. I think people but say, ma- said, I don't know whether to say maniacal or maniacal. I've always said maniacal, maniacal. but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the thing is, you know, we've got to protect clients' portfolios. We've made good money for them. And we're just saying protection isn't incredibly expensive. A lot of the hedge fund managers I interview in South Africa do similar things. When, when the protection isn't expensive, and none of us know when markets will fall, which is we're not clairvoyant, but we do know valuations on certain stocks are expensive. It's probably not the worst thing in the world to take a bit of protection. And, but the thing, the trick is when the markets fall to buy in. And I think a lot of people forget that. They think it's just going to get worse. So the trick is to hold, handle your emotions when the markets fall to buy into it. Because ultimately, yes. equities are still the best place for you to put your money. Well, and, and if people don't understand why that is the case and that uh, markets look expensive, just look at the interest rate in the United States of America. Just look at the inflation rate in the United States of America. You can drive a bus through those different numbers. And until that uh, bus can't get through the gap, then equities are always going to do well. Do you not agree? Well, that's the Tina argument, right? So what else do you do with your money? Mm. I think in years to come, we will look at what central banks have done and, and said it's absolutely horrendous because they've forced people who don't want to take risk into riskier assets because you absolutely can't put your money into cash and bonds. Uh, and they're kind of forcing people along the risk curve. And, you know, as somebody said on Twitter the other day, I loved it. I'm old enough to remember when equities were a risk asset. And I think people have forgotten mm, that good. equities are risky. <laughs> They've forgotten, and it's true. I mean, the other things I'm seeing on Twitter from young people, it's fascinating. They say, oh, God, fundamental analysis is a complete waste of time. Oh, dear. You know, if I'd listened to fundamental people, I would have lost so much money. I must just, you must just buy. Momentum is great. And the kind of euphoria of that making money is so easy, I, I find particularly scary at the moment because it's not. And if you're making it without any, you know, effort or work or whatever the expression is – I think that a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. You know, yeah. back to Tesla, I don't know if I mentioned, but most of the options in the market the last week or so have been in Tesla call options. Oh, 
$23 billion was wiped out in call options the last two days. So somebody thought, you know, it's boring to buy Tesla just a share. Let's buy an option on Tesla, get the gearing. Well, $23 billion got wiped out the last two days. There's some proper big hits being taken because people think making money is so easy. Yeah, which is a dangerous uh, scenario. Joanne Bainham, Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town and also Apollo, a discretionary fund manager. Uh, thank you very much for your time. By the way, uh, just one thing, you can't say fangs anymore. Oh, can't you? No, because it's, you no, it's meta, so you have to say mangs. A met, mangs. <laughs> okay, thank okay. you. <laughs> I've been schooled. <laughs> we'll speak next week. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.